Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Jaystown Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Cleveland Cavaliers have had their best game of the season. The absolutely most entertaining outcome possible against the Brooklyn Nets, going to triple OT and still getting that sweet, sweet L. Jordan Clarkson with a career-high 42 points off the bench. Colin Sexton continues to look good. And Marquise Chris uh, putting up 23 points, 7 boards, and I'm still not sure if he was a net positive. Uh, to help break everything down is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going, buddy? It's going good, Justin. Um, I'm I'm still shook by what you just said before we started the podcast. Because, um, you know, maybe, you know, most of the time I don't drink when I watch, when I watch games or uh, if I do, maybe I'll have a beer. If I'm feeling really ambitious, I'll have a glass of wine. You're just going peak douchebag and just slamming kombucha during games. <laughs> What do you have to say? I mean, talk about the most predictable thing that I'm still mad at you for. <laughs> Is this even the most mad you've been at me today? No. <laughs> but yeah, I'm good. Is the is the short answer? Fantastic. Um, for for those that aren't in our Discord chat, Carter was really mad when I made him my errand boy today because he doesn't have enough things going on. But enough about Carter and his grievances. Yeah, hold on. Actually, before you introduce our lovely <laughs> guest, I'm going to let people know what the fuck you just did. Just the Cavs were running a deal on jersey sales, and there was some outrageous like ninety dollar U.S. shipping charge. Um, so he's like, uh. So he he basically was like Carter, I'm sending it to your ha- your house and you can ship it to me, and I probably would have done it to be honest. And but then uh, friend of the pod Whitney, uh, Mike was like, you can send it to my place. I got you. And Justin says, no thanks. I want to make Carter do it. <laughs> it's like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> 
Well, I said, I said in the exact same sentence that I knew it would make good content, you getting frustrated. So, well, swing and a hit, home run. Yeah, I'm, I'm an asshole, but I'm, I'm not an incorrect asshole. Um, you might have heard some laughing, laughter in the background, and that's our good friend, friend of the podcast, recurring guest, Trevor Magnotti. Uh, Trevor is a co-worker with us at Fearless Sword, uh, if you don't already know him, and the host of the Thick Jack Frames podcast. Well, I, I hate the reference. I love the podcast. I love the guy. Trevor, how's it going? Going good. I was using that term before it was cool, so I maintain that <laughs> independent of whatever certain Twitter subcultures may have claimed. Whatever that. certain Twitter. That's uh, that's WCT. That's what they call themselves. Exactly. Are, are you going? Are you saying that you're the originator? I'm not the originator. No, oh, okay. that was uh, that was Mike Schmitz of Draft Express. I can't lay claim to that, but I've used it frequently. See, you know what? I, I like that the uh, origins aren't in Weird Celtics Twitter. I, I, really I like that you're it. standing up for yourself. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Stand, stand up to them until they dox you. Uh, but Trevor, do you want to tell the people about the podcast before we launch into this? Promote it. Come on, do, do some plugs. Well, we're doing a little cross why, why are you talking to him like he didn't want to? Promote it, coward. No, no, it's fine. I'm okay with as few people listening as possible. No, it's a new podcast that we're doing at Fear the Sword that focuses entirely on the NBA draft. Um, each week I'll do a breakdown of a player that is on the radar for the Cavs at either of their picks. Maybe it's a guy that they could take in the top five. Maybe it'll be a guy that they could end up taking later. Um, and then just giving some games to watch during college basketball, if in case you want to avert your eyes from whatever's going on with the team currently, which I do not blame you for. Um, <laughs> so just 15, 20 minutes out of your week, get a little bit better sense of, what the Cavs could be looking at going into the draft and just trying to keep some semblance of hope alive. Well, it's funny because we always joke that the only times anyone learns anything from our episodes is when you're on. So, mm-hmm. so it so stands if you to wanna, reason that, exactly. if you, that you could just subscribe to, to you and just stop listening to us. Yeah. He, yeah if, like, if, any, if all of the people who are clearly here for an education want some supplemental material, um, you know where to go. They gonna learn today. Yeah. So we, car, <laughs> our our podcast is the uh, the junk food. Trevor's is the vegetable. So you know what? Mix in both, you live a healthier existence. But before we launch into the draft, I want to talk a little bit about Colin Sexton and just some of what's been going on with the Cavs recently. Um, before we launch into Colin Sexton, are you insinuating that it's it's good to have a healthy mix of vegetables and junk food? <laughs> Hang on. Let me just take. A what do you understand about <laughs> about nutrition? Carter. You didn't specify what the thick is for and thick and jacked. Oh, yeah, you're wow. getting one, you're getting the other. It doesn't yes. matter, or you need to get both. Yeah, you got a carbo load. Bar- Baron Davis is my body goals. Now let me take <laughs> a uh, victorious sip of kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> so Colin Sexton was pretty good tonight. Colin Sorry, Sexton was left. pretty good. And you know what? He's been good for a while. So over the last five games, uh, he's averaging just shy of 23 points per game. Uh, 3.8 assists, 3.8 rebounds, 44.4% from the floor, and 43% from three. Um, and he's getting to line a little bit more. Um, you, know what, you know what I like actually about his his game logs the last five games, Justin? Three-point attempts. 
77385. Like, he's not a great shooter yet. We all know this. He's not, especially not off the dribble. But a part of his game that he has to get good at is spotting up. And he's actually been fairly good this season. Um, but, you know, it not in a way that kind of pretends high volume. Most of his threes are pretty open. Mm-hmm. Uh, but getting the attempts up, I think, is actually a really, really good sign for his development. Don't you think, Trevor? Yeah, it's nice to see him playing a little bit more of a modern game, honestly. Um, he he seems a lot more comfortable just in in the role of taking things in the flow of the offense, and and that's what I like. And it seems like whatever shooting work that he's getting is, is working, not just in the three-point attempts, but you mentioned him getting to the line a bunch. He's getting there a lot more, and he's also converting a lot more, 93% from the line in February so far. And that's almost – yeah, that's almost more impressive and probably, you know, it's a, it's a small sample even even with as much as he's been getting there. But that's that's pretty promising too. He's over 80% for the entire – or for each month in the season and now has two months where he's shooting over 90%. That's pretty promising for the long-term health of his three-point percentage. Yeah, uh, the, the free throws actually have made me feel really, really good about his – potential as a shooter moving forward i mean his form is still weird though i mean that that guide hand still like slaps across the front of the ball on the way up um but if right can, but it's still if you make that mechanics change then maybe he will get a little bit better off the dribble because i feel like that's really i i feel like that that offhand is affecting the shot the most when he's shooting off the dribble no, I, I think that's a good observation because you're right that it, it kind of does come across and it might throw off either his timing. And uh, we've talked before about how big adding strength would be for him. Um, I, I think that's going to be a major component as well. But just getting consistency with the form because when he's set, the release point is consistent. It's not like he's got an ever-changing form like uh, a Matthew Delvadova or Alonzo Ball. Um, so that that does make me feel a little more encouraged about the possibility of him having a consistent jumper because I mean if, if he can score like this and if he can be a three point threat that means he he can have a role in the NBA like it, his decision making and how hard he kind of dedicates himself to learning the game is going to determine where his ceiling is but that in itself right there is a rotation player like that essentially okay you're you're a young jordan clarkson yeah i i i agree um and it it seems more and more clear that trading guys like rodney hood and alec burks and we talked about this a little bit on the last pod uh is a net gain for the cavaliers long-term development because it's just so easy to say okay we need a bucket um we're actually trying to win this one go let's throw it to book Burks or hood who can, you know, do who are a little bit more confident than Sexton as a scorer right now. Um, right. And that's no insult to, you know, a, a project in Sexton who has a lot to learn still about the game. Those are two vets who have been putting the ball in the bucket for, you know, five, six years a piece. Um, and just the absence of those guys, it really is, you know, down the stretch, especially with the skeleton crew with love, not playing and, Osmond on a minutes limit. It's like, all right, Saxon, you have to go figure it out. You, right. You have to take. You have to absorb possessions, and that's actually been kind of encouraging to see. What What do you do? You feel like Sexton's taking a mini leap here, Trevor? I think in terms of his comfort level, 
I, I think he is. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen from him since the, since the trade deadline is he just seems a lot more comfortable with, with that role. And it's, his decisions are a little bit more automatic. There was a, a good example. I forget which of the, it seemed like eight late game periods we had tonight. Um, but he got, he got an outlet pass off of, off of a missed shot from the nets and just, immediately took off trying to go one on five against the entire uh, Nets transition defense while everybody else was kind of hanging back, unsure what to do. And it was nice. It was nice to see that. And while there was no chance really that he was going to get a good look as he did that, he immediately went to go run, saw that there was nobody with him, got into the paint and made the Nets De, uh, transition defense collapsed a little bit and then was able to pull it out, wait for the rest of the guys to come up and the Cavs were able to get into a good set. Whereas, you know, a couple months ago that either would have been stop, slow down, wait for everybody to come up or go careening into Jared Allen and three other defenders, one on five and trying to get a bucket and likely ending up with a missed shot and another turnover. So I, I think that we're seeing the decision-making and, and just the comfort level with the simple things that he needs to do running the offense, that's that's improving game to game, it seems like. It, not just over the past five games, but over the past month, he's been looking a lot better in that regard. Right, right. And, and it seems like it has taken another level once Rodney Hood and Alec Burks were kind of out of the picture because he has a more defined role and – I, I remember there was a stretch in this game. I think it was in the first overtime where Delhi was taking runners in the lane. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay with us winning. It would be fun. But I want to see Sexton take those shots. Like, I, I want to see a player that actually matters um, <laughs> doing doing the thing. Like, I, I don't want a Delhi game winner. I, <laughs> I I want it to be someone that we're going to care about for the future. And um, what, Trevor, I... Going back to you, I, I want to know kind of what your thoughts are on Marquise Chris because Carter and I have been low on him, uh, particularly due to his uh, basketball IQ. It, it seems like when he's doing things, it's good. Like he can look good when he's taking a spot-up shot or, or getting the ball on the move and, and dunking and, and being athletic. It kind of reminds me of Washington Wizards' JaVale McGee where – um, the, the highlights look great, but the every other moment <laughs> isn't exactly there. What What's your thoughts on Chris, uh, who's one of the new additions for the Cavs? The player that Chris reminds me the most of um, is probably Anthony Randolph. And wow. I've, I've watched Randolph in, um, in Europe a little bit since he fell out of the NBA. And when Anthony Randolph succeeds in Europe, it's because he has – a few jobs that he's doing on the court at what at one time when he comes into the game he has two or three responsibilities and that's it the minute that he starts to do more than just those two or three responsibilities he starts to look worse that's what that's what Marquise Chris is to me you can have him crash the boards you can have him protect the interior on defense and make simple simple little rotations you can have him you know, if he has an open wing and gets the ball, obviously have him go to the go to the hoop and he can go murder someone as he did tonight. But the minute that you start making him think and the minute that you start making him process what's happening around him, you're you're toast. And 
that's not really a player that I'm super excited about, but he can be useful for a team like this because they don't have a ton of super athletic guys that can go crash the, crash the glass after a missed shot and keep possessions alive, especially with Tristan out. I think that he, I think that he has a role on this specific team, but I mean, there, there's there's not really a ton here long-term development-wise that I'm excited about because he's, he's just not a smart player. And there, there are very few signs that there's going to be any positive improvement in that regard, and there have been very few signs throughout his career so far. Um, so, you know, I'm not super excited about him, but – he he has a purpose just like just like everybody else um you can't or can't have a purpose in the nba his is just very limited to this type of role where he's crashing the boards and you know making simple little plays on on defense and making simple little reads and sticking to his specific zone yeah it, it's just so hard to teach feel man like mm-hmm. and like you have to to some extent i feel like it's an attribute not a skill feel um and you know with any with any attribute you can work you know you can get maybe five to ten percent better but if you can't hit the floor that you need to get to uh to become a functional nba player even with as many gifts as chris has because you know i always did the joke that you know he's got everything except knowing how to play basketball like he's an okay shooter he can kind of dribble he can kind he can definitely finish uh he can move um but he doesn't know how to do any of it, you know? And I just, even if he got 10, even if his feel got 10% better, like his, that feels like his best case scenario. I'm still not sure he's a particularly useful player, but on a team like the Cavs, I mean, on a night like this, I mean, he was an absolute blast. Right. And I'm, I'm going to come out and say it. He was right to demand a trade. Um, he is someone that deserves to be on trade. Yeah. Oh, you missed that. Yeah, he demanded a trade from the Rockets. Oh, I uh, thought I I was thinking of other crappy players like uh, Thon Maker. Uh, <laughs> cool. So it's not just on court field that's a problem. Got it. Right. Right. Uh, honestly, though, like he is someone that deserves to be on a bad team, being entertaining in these type of games. Like sure. he is the he is the mm-hmm. perfect player to have for kind of the rest of the season here because he's going to give you enough highlights. He's going to give you reasons to watch. Um, like I, I would much rather have him out there than Ante Zizic. Like I'm, I'm pretty out on Zizic being a functional player. Like he can do things if he has minutes, he's tall and he, he, and he's tall. Yeah. He's tall. He gets rebounds. He's going to put the ball in the basket eventually. Like, but it, it's just not going to bring me any entertainment and having well, when's the last time, Sorry to interrupt you, but when was the last time a team had four guys foul out? <laughs> well, that's kind of um, crazy. <laughs> this is the worst defensive team in the history of the NBA. So uh, foul fouling is uh, when when we reach the, out, they teach we don't learn. Yeah, <laughs> when Nwaba fouled out and uh, Stauskas came in, and I was like, okay, we don't have to worry about this being a win anymore. <laughs> yup. <laughs> That is, uh, that's basically a wrap. And, but like having Chris and having Nwaba and having Love in, like uh, obviously they bring different things. Nwaba brings intensity on defense. Love brings competence. And Chris brings athleticism, which is something we just haven't had. Like if he's going to be our uh, Iyenga for this era, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> it, it was nice having Jetty back. 
got to be said. Yes. And he, he looked, and he looked good. He didn't look limited at all. Um, it felt like he was gone a lot longer than four games, didn't it? Yeah. Like well, without like without him, months. the sun doesn't shine. Like, so when you go like a week without sunshine, it, it can be pretty tough. But a little forced yeah. part in his haircut. What a, what a little grown-up we've got. Just <laughs> <laughs> our dapper little gentleman. Man, he, well, he's, he's got to look sharp for the ladies in Charlotte, so he's trying out the, the look. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it was good. Like, he didn't look that rusty at all. He, he made pretty good decisions. He hit a tough three. Uh, he had that nice little drive in the lane where he was sideways and kind of faked the pass. Just and kind of held it in the air from yeah, that. that. That was weird, but uh, <laughs> it, it was good. Like, it, it, it's nice to see him out there. I wish he wasn't on a minutes restriction, but it, it's probably for the best. So, that he's ready to go for the All-Star game or the Rising Stars game. Yeah, I... I kind of wonder, because um, the Cavs are off for the next eight days, um, unlike most years, almost no one on the team has much to do during all-star breaks. So they can get as healthy as they need to get. Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see whether they just play their guys the rest of the way or if they kind of invent reasons to sit Love. Because, you know, if Love is playing partial minutes and he gets another eight days – it kind of feels like you got to play him if he's healthy to some extent. And Jetty is back. And I do think we're going to kind of see this team at a, at its best, which still isn't very good. But, uh, you know, I do wonder if there is some danger of them falling in the tank race because uh, they're – I mean, they got Phoenix, Memphis, New York, all in their, three of their next four games. There's a world in which this team could have won five of six. They'd be in Brooklyn tonight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm go ahead, Trevor. Yeah, it's it's just they're they're in enough trouble just doing what they're doing right now with how the Knicks and Suns are looking. So I I'm very curious to see what ends up happening because they they made it sound tonight like Tristan Thompson's going to be at least making an appearance when they get back from the All All Star break, and that's he's probably the most interesting guy to me because. Even with guy, even with guys trying to come back and play with with Chris and Nance and and Zizic, it's it's really hard to justify playing him, even if they are going to try to play some of the other guys here, right? Right. I I think what we see is so it's going to take some time. Like Love obviously hasn't really built himself up to game shape. Um, Tristan's not going to be in in the best shape either. Um, and like John Henson's going to get back in the mix. Like he he's Jesus. taking shots in practice. Like there's going to be so many guys getting into the rotation that are going to take time, like weeks before they're fully in shape. And I just think introducing all these new pieces to a team that already is kind of talent deficient, I think that's going to kind of take care of some of this tanking. Like uh, realistically, yeah. realistically speaking, the Hawks are, they have the fifth worst record. They're actually playing some pretty decent basketball, and they have seven wins more than us. Like I don't. Yeah, they're think, not falling out of that. Out yeah. Of so I I don't think like even I like I don't think it's possible for the Cavs to go five hundred the rest of the way. <laughs> that that would be pretty absurd to even think about. Um, but even if they did, like I don't know if they'd fall further than the fourth worst record. Like there's just not enough games left, and the difference between finishing one through three 
and four in terms of landing a top four pick is the difference between 52% and 48%. Like it's a 4% chance. So I, I think you just go platoon. Kevin Love's going to have his minutes limited. Tristan Thompson's going to have his minutes limited. I think they're still going to find ways to get Chris minutes. I think they'll try to work Henson in. And I, I just think it's going to be so disjointed that we're, we're not going to see wins. So they're not going that's, to turn that's things around. That's the sneaky way to tank that people don't talk about, which is – because I remember specifically I'll, – I'll actually never forget it because my brother and I went to a Cavs game the third year of the Kyrie era. I want to say it was the – no, it was year two of Kyrie. And uh, the Cavs were really competitive with the Pacers all game. Kyrie was just going nuts. And then Byron Scott just didn't play Kyrie the first seven minutes of the fourth quarter. <laughs> just because – Oh, man. It's like you can I, tank mid game pretty easy, actually. It's not that hard. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not too concerned. And like, as I said, it's not going to have a major, major impact on the odds of the Cavs landing a top four player. And I, I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for this team to look bad down the stretch. But uh, just because the Cavs are looking bad doesn't mean you guys have to look bad. Blue Wire is teaming up with. Yeah, look at that segment. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure that our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, rich, rich lathering shave gel, travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Germany, folks. Germans. You, you know they make good stuff. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. It's important you do the blue wire. That's that's how we get the credit. That's how you support them and us at the same time. All of Harry's blades come with a hundred percent quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll fun- and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just three dollars with shipping harder justin the you know I, I while you were doing that read i was just blasting through some mock drafts on tankathon.com as we are wont to do and i was just getting so stressed you know because I, I i just want the Cavs to get a good pick i don't want to fall down to seven and and pick someone named jackson hayes <laughs> i don't want that it's stressing me out and you know in a lot of ways life can be stressful justin but getting life insurance shouldn't be. And that's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. By the way, you said a last last week you said Ethos is kind of a modern life insurance <laughs> instead of a modern kind of life insurance. Okay, I'm a little dyslexic. That's okay. 
at getethos.com. There is, there's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meeting with pushy representatives. Only takes 10 minutes to apply and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. In most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day. That's less than one cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just get to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com. Getethos.com. Boom. And just like that, we are back at it. Um, Trevor, what's your opinion on uh, Carter's boy, Jackson Hayes? (laughs) <laughs> yeah if, if i have to have my my team i might as well learn about him now <laughs> <laughs> i i was just hoping that trevor was just going to jump into the read and say actually you know what that's really good value uh with the Cavs houston pick so t- tell us uh, tell us about <laughs> tell our us about, unless you also haven't heard of him because there's a world in which tankathon's pranking us no it, it's a it's a super texan thing like the the Jackson with an X is oh, it's, it, it's a it's a common uh, common thing down there I, I guess but it, he's he's Jared Allen again they're doing this again and he's pretty good but he's also Jared Allen again so I, I find it hard to get excited yeah that exact kind of fun I, I I mean I like Jared Allen yeah. I don't like the bandana yeah <laughs> I don't think that's a good look for him no. I think they all look ridiculous. Like they're all playing dress up. I don't know how you guys feel about that. The the new bandana trend. I don't know who started it. I don't get how it's NBA approved, but it's weird to me. Old man Carter is not here for the bandanas. I'm not even like, it's not even like, I I don't think it looks good. It's just weird. It's like, why is everyone dressing like the karate kid all of a sudden? Trevor, last time you were on the podcast, I made you try to talk me into Zion Williamson. I uh, I do not need to be talked into him anymore. I'm, I think he has kind of established himself as the no-brain, no-doubt, number one overall pick. Um, I still don't know like if you're picking Zion on the field on where the best player in this draft is going to come from. I'd probably pick the field just because I still have concerns about durability, but I'm pretty sure you any fan base would ride if you passed on Zion and he clearly has the highest upside. Um, what, what have you really seen from Zion uh, since we last talked that kind of helps him separate from the pack? Is it just kind of more of the same or are you seeing some growth uh, throughout the season at Duke? Well, I think that having Trey Jones miss a bunch of time for Duke was important because it, it helped us learn a little bit more about Zion as a creator and also by virtue of that learn a little bit more about Cam Reddish as a creator because Reddish got zero opportunity to prove himself and while while Jones was out with all of those extra extra ball handling possessions to go around they all pretty much went to Zion and RJ um so that's exciting if the Cavs are drafting fit like fifth um but I think that the biggest thing that's that's exciting with him is the fact that in conference play he's shooting over 40% from three on almost 30 attempts. That's really interesting. The form is looking a lot better. He's looking a lot more comfortable. He's taking a couple pull-up shots here as well, and those have looked pretty good. Um, if he If he can shoot, it just opens up 
so much more for what his offense can be at the NBA level um, because then you can use him more as a pick and pop big and that opens up more of those face-up opportunities against closeouts which he's going to be able to have a lot of success against he really needs that threat of at least a passable jumper to be all he can be on offense and it's looking like it's trending that way over the over the past month and a half or so so that's I think the biggest thing to me is that it looks like Zion's at least got the chance to be able to shoot and adding that is going to open up a lot more for his offensive game. Counterpoint, Trevor. I did, I did watch that uh, second half of Duke uh, Louisville. And, you know, sometimes when I watch uh, college prospects that then struggle in the pros, I'm like, you know, the quality of play couldn't be that big of a jump. And then I watched everyone on Louisville. Exactly. (laughs) Forget how to play basketball. I think I tweeted something <laughs> yeah. along the lines of, I think it's amazing that Louisville got to the 16th ranked team in the country despite having no players who knew how to dribble on the team. Yeah, Duke has only struggled against a couple teams this year. Louisville, who is by far the least watchable team in college basketball this year. Syracuse, 2-3 zone. They got bored. Yeah. Um, and then Virginia, pack line, again, they got bored. Like – there's not really there there's not really much to take away from a game like that because yeah Louisville sucks <laughs> yeah they they clearly do holy shit uh yeah I, Zion is looking a little more comfortable and that three he did pull up for was pretty amazing I, do you have any concern about I mean there has been like a little bit of rumblings of like the especially in that first half of like of Zion's one-on-one ability when faced with NBA length. And I, I will say, I, I still kind of harbor that, like from the perspective of, I do feel when I watch him play, he has some finishes that are awkward. And I think a lot of them are a result of him not really getting to the spot he wants to get to, but then just kind of elevating higher than anyone can match and just kind of putting it in through sheer force of will. I feel like that those kind of shots kind of go away in the pros. Are you concerned at all about that? Yeah, I'm a little bit, especially because he still really doesn't show much interest in finishing with his offhand. And that, I think, is a way that he could counter that potentially. I think that he can finish with his right. He just he just doesn't seem to want to for whatever reason, probably because he never has to at co- in the college level. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there is – something to that because we've consistently seen against Auburn against Gonzaga in the Maui tournament and then again against a couple teams in the ACC that have like Florida State for example he just doesn't have that same kind of burst to be able to get by guys that you see from you know the top echelon scorers in in the league like LeBron and Giannis um there he just doesn't have that ability to kind of put his shoulder into a guy and be able to kind of wrap his body around the defender as he goes up. Um, that's something that RJ is actually very good at, um, even though he doesn't have the strength to really be able to get into and dislodge a defender. He can at least kind of contort around a guy. Kind of seals and, them off with his hip. Yeah, like that. that's just not really part of Zion's game. Will it? Could it become it? I think certainly. I think he's coordinated enough to be able to make it happen. But um, – you know, I, th- I think there is going to be a little bit of a learning curve to him in terms of just that one-on-one scoring ability because 
he clearly does not have to go to every tool in his in, that could be in his toolbox to be able to have success at the college level and be able to have immense success. And I think that that's going to be a little bit of a a little bit of an interesting thing to watch wherever he ends up next year is I think he may struggle in that number one scoring role as he tries to start to transition into it just because guys are going to find counters to his most basic stuff and we just don't see any of those kind of recounters back um, things that separate a guy like Luka Doncic who has all of that in his toolbox already and I think that that could be that could make him a case like Donovan Mitchell, where you know maybe he has success as a rookie, but that year two hits him very hard in terms of the scoring because he just doesn't have the counter moves that he needs to. I'm glad you said that because I'm fucking sick of people complaining about the amount of shots uh, RJ and and Reddish take. Mm-hmm. Like everyone makes such a big deal out of like, oh, can't believe these two fucking losers are taking 20 shots a game while Zion's only taking 14, and it's like. Well, that's not really his hands game right now. I, I think people don't realize, like even at the college level where the average skill is lower, being able to take shots is actually a skill, like getting shots off. Like that, that, that's something that you have to be able to create for yourself most of the time. And yeah. uh, I, I think that's often kind of a, a product both of Duke's system and some of the limitations that Zion does have at the moment. It's, it's literally the reason Alonzo Trier is in the NBA right now, is that right. he can just sit there and eat shots on the, on the Knicks. And it, it, is, it is a very valuable skill, especially as you get into that year two, three of development for these top-tier guys, because they're going to they're gonna take guys that don't read scouting reports by surprise in their rookie regular season. It's when we actually have a book, a tape of, the, of them against NBA talent and everybody's prepared for them that that's when it becomes becomes an issue for him so that's just something to keep in mind as as we move forward with him in looking at his development is I wouldn't be surprised at all if he struggles at some point early on in his career to kind of make that leap to being the scorer that we think he should be I have a I have a question for you Trevor mm-hmm how many Euro steps is too many Euro steps for RJ Barrett? Because <laughs> it's every possession, whether well, he needs to, Carter, whether his Euro step takes Carter. him into the wrong direction. Carter, you want to talk Euros, about a guy? We're Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about a guy who doesn't have any counters? Um, yeah, yeah. He uh, he just doesn't have the strength right now to be a high level finisher, and that's that's what really scares me about him as a as kind of the top tier guy he needs to put on a lot of weight and a lot and a lot of functional strength to be able to have success even as a average finisher in the NBA um so I think I think that I think that he's got enough moves and enough counter moves to be able to to be able to survive and at least be able to be playable early on but yeah he just when he faces the same issue when they face those long long teams that can just pack the paint i mean he was he was horrible in the clemson game he was horrible in the florida state game um at finishing just because they just had guys that could swallow up his his upper body and he couldn't extend over the top of them because he doesn't have the strength to be able to get into a guy and be able to finish so 
yeah, I, I'm not so much worried about the kind of fancy footwork stuff that, that he does. I'm more worried about the fact that he just can't straight take it at. He can't go through. Can't finish through anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, well, he, he just needs a, a few more Berta stakes. He'll, he'll be fine. He just needs to bulk <laughs> up a little bit. I'm, I'm not too concerned. What uh, about the salt and pepper, the, the, the Berta stakes? The oh, Berta yeah. Beef? yeah, a little S&P. <laughs> put a put a flashlight over it and you're golden that's how canadian justin is he didn't even go to the obvious poutine joke there (laughs) oh that's a that's a straight letter kenny reference i believe absolutely uh uh, but uh yeah i it it is interesting to see kind of where the second tier how many players are in your tier two right now two just moran and barrett nope just barrett and culver I, I oh, have wow. you love Culver. Yeah, you I'm I'm, Culver, I'm lower on Morant than than a lot of people just because I I cannot be convinced right now that he's not just Dennis Smith but thinner. See, I'm I'm really concerned about Morant too. Like I I think that he's a guy that they'll take if he's available and RJ and Zion are off the board. But I, I'd really like to go with a wing. Like, I, I really, really would like to go with a wing or, or a shooting guard. Um, like, to, to me, when I was saying earlier, landing in the top four is the important thing for me. To, to me, my four is still Zion, RJ, uh, Reddish, and Moran is kind of in there. But I'm, I'm all, all in on being talked into to somebody else. And uh, Culver is that guy for you, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I, – I think that even with the shooting struggles that he's been having in conference play, he just – I think I think that his floor as it is as a Jalen Brown type player where wow. he's going to be able – he's going to be able to be a – he's going to be able to be a solid to good NBA defender, and I think within the first couple of years he's going to be able to hit that level. And he does enough smart stuff on, on offense, um, off ball, that even if the pull-up shooting and and the catch and shoot stuff and the um and the one-on-one scoring doesn't ever materialize which it's looking less and less of a sure thing like it will i think that he still has a baseline of value that's higher than what most guys baseline is going to be um i'm kind of of the opinion that after three basically everybody between like four and 20 is for the most part interchangeable. You could talk me into any, you could talk me into any of the guys that I have in that range being lottery picks. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think that that's kind of the, di- that's kind of the difference for me is it, you got to like, for me ranking in this class, you got to rank for floors because there aren't a ton of guys who have established floors to me. And Culver's one of those guys. Um, I do want to move down the ladder. You talked about the the four through 20 being similar. That actually might bode kind of well for the Cavs, depending on how things play out, because uh, between the last time we talked and now, the Cavaliers have added an extra first-round pick via the Houston Rockets lottery protected. So, hopefully, pardon doesn't like blow a knee out or something um who is the guy that um that is expected to go in the lottery that you think might have that kind of surprise drop uh that the Cavaliers might be able to go chase and should chase 
I know yes. I'm putting you on the spot here. This is a this is a tough question because it really seems like it seems like this is a year where even with as thin as, as things look at the top, like somebody's going to make a mistake, and there's going to be there's going to be some guys who are going to drop that make a lot of sense for as potential like top ten value guys. Um, you know, I th- I think one guy who who could potentially drop that. I would, I think the Cavs could jump, should jump on immediately if he's there is Keldon Johnson of Kentucky. Um, he's a guy who has been projected a lot in the top 10 throughout the year, but you, you're starting to see places kind of drop him lower and lower. I saw a mock draft that had him like 17th today, I think. Um, so if, if he's in the range there, there's your home run swing at potentially getting an impact wing that could potentially have some scoring value. Um, I think I think that another guy that can that can make sense there would be if Kobe White of North Carolina drops because Currently going to the Cavs on Tankathon. Yeah, because the disconnect with with him I think is so bizarre right now. He's a guy that I have as like a sure like top ten value in this class. Very good, very good pull up shooter. Looks like he's going to be a good combo guard that can distribute, which would be. Perfect for the Cavs playing next to Colin Sexton. Um, looks like a really good defender right now um, for his for his position at least. And he's slated like 25th to 30th on at most places, and I really don't get that. So like he's a guy that I would obviously be looking to jump on. Um, same with Brandon Clark of Gonzaga, Grant Williams of Tennessee. My son. All of the um, all of those like six six to six nine guys who are college fours but probably have the skill set to play the three at the NBA level which there are like five of those guys in this draft that's um, kind of weird I feel like that doesn't I feel like it normally goes the other way <laughs> yeah so like so like between Hunter Demboya Williams Clark um Ignis Bradzikis of of, uh, of Michigan there are so many guys that I think could be valuable players in the in the league today that are going to be available for the Cavs at that pick because teams are going to do stupid things like I don't know take a guy who's sh- been shooting 20 percent from three for most of the season in the top five like Romeo Langford or taking the guy who might be the worst interior defensive big I've ever seen in Rui Hachimura in the top 10. Um, there's going to be some mistakes in this draft with, with the disconnect between how the teams think of the class and how draft people think of the class. So there's going to be value for where the Cavs are picking. So you think that this might be a year, obviously, where there are some guys that fall that, that could have lottery value. And maybe this is a season that if teams aren't valuing the kind of these later prospects the properly maybe this could be a year where you trade some of those future second round picks that you have um maybe you're offering up salary relief with uh jr smith or or even a player like john henson and, and kind of moving into the first round to to get a, another pick and another shot at one of these guys um well one guy i'm curious about is trey jones i i want to get your thoughts on him because that might be a player that's available later on. Obviously, it's awkward taking point guards back-to-back. But I, I want to know if you think he has the kind of upside where you would still draft him just as kind of a value pick, even though uh, it's awkward taking point guards in back-to-back drafts. Yeah, I, th- I think there's definitely value. He's a guy that's going to be 
somebody who's going to be on winning teams throughout his NBA career. He just had, he just has that, that mold of smart decision maker, um, good at managing an offense in a, in a, in a secondary role where maybe he's your backup point guard comes in for 15 minutes a game, but he's getting those 15 minutes a game when your primary star is off the floor and you need somebody who knows what the hell they're doing on offense to be able to keep you afloat. Um, he's probably the best defensive point guard in the class. Um, and it, it, I feel pretty comfortable saying, saying that there's not really anybody else I can compare him to there. Um, that's could definitely use some defensive players. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I think they told Mike Longabari coaches him up. I'll tell you what, Jack. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but I think, I think that he is, I think that he's a guy that could work well next to Colin Sexton. My concern is just that he's a little bit small and kind of tethering, like those, yeah, tethering those two together. It probably isn't, isn't functional. Um, but I, I think that he's a guy that they should be looking at and doing their homework on because he's one of the, he's one of those guys that makes the type of decisions that you need to, to be, to have success in the NBA and he's a guy who is going to bring that consistent level of energy that you need. And I, I think that while his, you know, his most likely outcome might be as a Monty Morris type, Monty Morris is really good on a, on a good team right now. And I think that that role has value and the Cavs should be looking at it. I, I would have, Mo- I would have fun with Monty Morris. Like the Cavs just need uh, an infusion of talent. And if you can add two guys that are like Amani Morris and someone worth building around that, that that would make me pretty excited. Like let's say Colin Sexton is in this draft. Where does that kind of like the Sexton tier start for you? Like how, how many prospects would you put ahead of him? Cause I, I'm trying to get a sense with the new lottery odds and the potential for the Cavs to fall. Um, I, I want to know, am, am I adding someone that has a higher floor and ceiling than, than Sexton? Yeah, I, I think I'd probably put him maybe around like that, maybe around like the 10 to 12 range in, ter- in terms of my, my big board, which would be right around Romeo so similar Langford. to where he was last year, right? Yeah, like Romeo Langford, Nasir Little. Um, I, I, th- I think that those are the guys that I would, I would compare him with that he's a guy or that are like, you know, there's small chances at, at star play if things start to click for them as, as things do for guys who are that athletic and um, and that high profile um, more often than not. Um, but based on their college play, I'm very hesitant to rank them any higher than that because they aren't showing, they're showing big time flaws as well. Um, that That's right where I would probably stick him is kind of in that like 10 to 12 range. Trevor, Justin asked you about the Cavs maybe packaging some of the second rounders they've acquired and trading up into the end of the first round. Uh, I'm going to ask you kind of the opposite question. If the Cavs fall to, let's say, seven, should they look to trade down if they can pick up a couple firsts in the process? Absolutely. I, I think that the this is a draft where it's going to be a lot more, I think, like the NFL draft typically is, where if you have a guy that you want and you, you don't think other teams are high on, try to trade down. And conversely, if you, if you see a guy – or 
or because there are going to be teams that are going to do the opposite. There are going to be teams who really want specific guys where it may not be the best decision for them to go after those specific guys. I'm talking about Langford, Hachimura, Whittle, guys, guys like in that range and like that seven to 10 range teams are, there are going to be certain teams that are very high on that type of player. And if you can trade back and look at some of these more kind of value guys, I think you're in a pretty good situation. I think this draft is very similar to 2013 where nobody wanted to be drafting in that top six, very clearly. No one wanted, really wanted to be there. Um, but you know, there was a lot of jockeying for position for in the teens because there were guys like Kelly Olenek, obviously Giannis, um, later on Rudy Gobert. There were a lot of trades in that draft because there were a lot of teams that saw things and saw things that other teams didn't and went, traded up or traded down and secured the guy that they wanted and were better off for it. I think that that's a lot how this is this draft is going to go and having those two picks and all of those second rounders and the incentive to be able to take on extra picks in the future is going to work out really well for the Cavs to be able to do either if the opportunity arises. Where, where would you draw the line of, okay, there's enough prospects off the board where I would look to trade back and try to get two first here. Like obviously Zion, RJ, um, Morant, Reddish, Culver, um, like stop me when you, you hear where you kind of draw the line. Like, uh, would, would you trade, like, let's say reddish falls to like five, would, would you trade out at that point or would you just take cam at that point? Yeah, I think, I think it really depends on, on who are the, if you're picking like fifth, I think it really depends on who's going third or fourth. Um, I, I think that probably around the five, six range is where I would start, start to look to trade back because I think that, I think that like Reddish is going to be really good on specific teams and there are specific teams where he's not going to be able to reach his potential. I think the Cavs are probably one of those because I don't think that they have really the development infrastructure to be able to make him into uh, uh, the functional player that he most likely is going to be. Um, I think that, you know, if obviously I'm a little biased, but if Culver's there, take him. Um, but if you get the sense that he's maybe going to be in like that seven to nine range and somebody in seven to nine really likes Romeo Langford, then, then make that trade. Um, I think anything outside of the top two and you're at least smart to listen to offers. I think that you got to take RJ and you got to take Zion if you're, if you're two or one. Um, but anything beyond that, I think that you, the floor should be open because it's going to be very subjective on who everybody thinks is the third best player in this draft because there isn't a clear one right now. That that's really interesting to me to one of the most encouraging things for me is that it seems like at least Varden has said this. I think Lloyd has said it too, that the Cavs clearly are it's Zion and RJ for them. And that's kind of, that like there there would be no mm-hmm. consideration for Moran and the fact that there are teams that seem like there seems to be buzz kind of growing about taking Morant at two especially if they do need a point guard that's encouraging to me because I I want the possibility of RJ falling if we stay put at three 
Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I'm going to watch more Culver as a <laughs> as a result of this because I I need to talk myself into more of these players so that when I'm running my tankathon simulations, it doesn't get as depressing. <laughs> But uh, Trevor, we, we really do appreciate uh, you coming on. Obviously, I think we're running a little long on time here. But um, it, as Carter said before, you coming on is one of the few times people learn things on this podcast. So we do appreciate you coming on. You guys, make sure that you're checking out his podcast, Thick Jack Frames. Um, you'll find it on Fear the Sword. And I'm assuming wherever you find your podcast, right, Trevor? You're, you're up on everything. Yep, we're up and running as a, as of Monday, I think. Um, so we should be on iTunes, should be on Stitcher. Perfect. So same drill with us, guys. The best way to support any podcast you care about is leaving that rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, cook those iTunes numbers. It's the best way for people to find it. Uh, word of mouth also helps. And if you want to be part of our exclusive Discord chat, if you're leaving a review on iTunes, just take a screenshot of that and send it to chasedownpod at gmail.com. Uh, big shout out as well to our sponsors, Harry's, as well as Ethos. Uh, so thanks to Trevor, Carter, thanks for staying up. And uh, until next time, go Caps. <laughs>